Welcome to the Performance Health Podcast. Today we're going to be talking about specificity with Coach Joey. He is out of Florida Atlantic, got a ton of great stuff on his socials. I would highly recommend checking out everything he's got. Uh, Amazing products on developing long-term athletic development and just incredible content in general. But we dived into a really important concept today called specificity. Uh, We've been building on this for the past couple weeks, really trying to create this narrative that sports specific or specificity is the natural outlet. And whenever we do something, it's probably better serving to start with that and then reverse engineer the process working all the way backwards. If you are not a member on PH Podcast, curriculum, I highly suggest you do. It is worth two CEUs through NSCA. It is an incredibly valuable tool for you, the strength coach, to get access to an advanced level curriculum, as well as a community and network to ask questions, connect with, etc. This is a huge, huge learning opportunity for every strength coach out there. I highly suggest you get on that ASAP. Also, Strength Deficit the Book, Strength Deficit the Course is available on our website as well. Again, another great resource for you to dive into, something you can really sink your teeth into, think about, get a lot of really good, one, technical, but also two practical examples through the course and the book combined. So I highly suggest you go over to phpodcast.com to get both course and book, something you will not regret, I promise you. Lastly, realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness data. This is what I use personally with all my athletes and clients. Highly suggest you get on there as well. This is a great platform. I run experiments, I track all my data, I can see it all in a very clear, delineated dashboard that helps me make better decisions. Realize.me, your command center for all health and wellness data. All right, let's, without further ado, let's get Coach Joey on here. Let's hit this. All right, everybody, we got Joey here today. We're going to talk about specificity. So we've been working through this topic for the past three weeks, talking about a bunch of different areas to lean into when you're thinking specificity brought joey on um obviously a lot of football background but i'm gonna give joey a chance to talk about uh what he works with and what he's doing and then you know we're gonna hit it so joey take a second uh introduce yourself and i uh, appreciate you being on man yeah appreciate you having me on man um you know i'm, I'm down here at florida Atlanta university i'm director of sports performance for football uh i also oversee some olympic sports through my assistants they they carry out the programs for them, but I do help them out with that. I've uh, been here three years, extremely blessed to be here. And a little bit of a transition right now, but you know, just part of the coaching world and just see where, where things take in the next few weeks and see how things go. We've had a lot of success down here with uh, just per- the performance side of it. You know, uh, you know, we got really good athletes down here, which is always fun to work with. Yeah, and um, you worked at Colorado State before, right? And then uh, Ole Miss as well? Yeah, so I was at Colorado State for, for two years as, as a uh, head strength and conditioning coach for football. And then I was an assistant under Paul Jackson at Ole Miss for four years. Prior to that, I was actually uh, the, the director of sports performance for uh, Northwestern State. Uh, it's a small one double in, in the northwest corner of Louisiana. We had 17 sports and we only had three people. So you, you got a lot of exposure to different different type of uh, different sports, different modalities, different different coaches. It was It was pretty cool. Yeah, I always tell everyone when you're getting started in your coaching career, try to find situations like that because you're needed and you're going to have to get really good fast. And and I think it's a cool segue because one of the things I wanted to talk about with you is obviously football is going to be a big part of this. But, you know, with specificity, 
you know, Olympic sports is kind of really where the origin of this, if we look back to Dr. Yesis and Bondarchuk and looking at this GPP SPP model and looking at special preparation exercises for a discus throw or a javelin throw or even a track athlete, like, you know, this idea of specialization, you know, came to once this person reached mastery, okay, how do we really refine and enhance that specific motion or action needed to do and we took a lot of that with football as well right so i'm sure some of those other exposures to sport and having a conversation with a swim coach or having a conversation with a track and field coach is like hey we really like to hit this exercise going into competition and can we you know go into that and that exposure to that kind of gets you thinking about football like what do i do for an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman so when um what i'd like to open up with you here is you know, what is your general thought on the idea of specificity? Like you can say it is almost like this, like controversial thing. It's like it's taboo here. It's like, you know, people talk about specificity. But what was your initial thought when I proposed or asked you to talk about this? I think I think the first thing that, that, that comes to mind when when you talk about the controversy of specificity, right? I think people don't understand what that actually means. And, I, and when you define it, it, it just means it's the sport, right? Like we, we all have specific sports and sports have specific movement pillars that are the foundation of those sports. Okay. So like you brought up swimming, like there's, there's a, there swimming has a, a specific technique to it, right? So that's a specific modality that you have to get to or, or obtain. Like you talked about from a technical standpoint, there's capacities that go into that. When you look at soccer, there's specific things in soccer that are only like I can't use my hands that's specific okay with basketball like a shot is specific so like every sport has some kind of movement that is unique to it right now there's a ton of carryover in, in a lot of sports specifically field sports when you look at um you know the the soccer the footballs um you know all, even the court sports like basketball, all these there's some carrier, right? When you look at change of direction, you look at some of these, these these general these general movements. When you talk about specificity, it's the sport itself. So the, the first thing that I think people struggle with is they don't break their sport down or understand their sport enough. All right, so like all these football coaches, you know, strength coaches are like, yeah, I understand my sport. Well, tell me about the difference between a slot receiver and an outside receiver because there's a huge difference. Yeah. You know, and we have case studies here, you know, through GPS and through body types and, and through all these different measurements, like they have different attributes and they have different demands of the game. So I think when when, when, it, when you boil it down, like the first thing when anyone wants to talk about specificity is you have to do a deep knees analysis of the sport you're training. You have to understand what that sport, what are the main movement pillars of that sport. I think you have to understand uh, the physiological, the metabolic demands of that sport, okay? And then I think that it, if you don't get close to that, as far as from a training aspect, if you don't carry that continuum of general to specific, you're doing your, your athletes a disservice, right? Because, like, one of my main philosophies, like, I have a two-part philosophy. I want to make athletes extremely explosive and violent in the sport they play. And then the second one is is to have them adapt and thrive and practice, Okay, so in order for them to adapt and thrive in practice, which is the most specific event when it looks to sport, I have to understand the specificity of that sport. I have to understand how to reverse engineer from, okay, an O-lineman does this in a practice. Okay, these are his main movements. This is the main metabolic demand on him. 
This is the main mechanical stress that is induced on this athlete. Okay. Now, knowing that, I can work backwards and I can figure out and I can piece the puzzle together. And what really hit home for me was, is, you know, I was in, I was at Ole Miss in 2014. We decided to get GPS. And just seeing the discrepancy in the position groups and how different each position group was, it blew my mind. You know, I got I got receivers. I got receivers that run 7,500 yards in a practice. I get 240 yards on average over 16 miles an hour. Okay. And then I have an old lineman that doesn't go over nine miles an hour in entire practice, goes 3,500 total yards. Okay. Never goes over 10 miles an hour the entire practice, but has four times the amount of change of directions in D cells. Okay. And three times the amount of collisions as that receiver. So when I look at it, it's like you have to know your sport in and out. You have to know, you have to have your, your dashboard. You have to have, you have to know the oil pressure. You have to know how much gas. You have to know all these things in order to prepare them for that. Right. Cause I don't want to send my ass. I don't want to say, okay, we passed a, a, a 110 test. My guys can play football. They're in great shape. Well, that's a very general aerobic conditioning test, right? Like the higher intensity interval test, right? Like that's not going to sit there and tell me, okay, can they handle, can my receivers handle D cells over three, a negative three meters per second about 14 times in practice? Absolutely not. Okay. So I want to make sure that when I turn these kids over that they're ready and that they can, they can adapt and thrive in practice, that they can handle not only the practice demands, but they have a reserve on whatever attribute that they may need to be successful in that practice. They have a reserve and they're robust and they're resilient. The only way to do that is to climb that continuum of specificity. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's the only way to do it. That's the only way to do it. And again, it goes back to knowing the sport. You gotta know the sport. You have to like, if you have volleyball, like. I had volleyball when I was at Northwestern State. Like, average volley time was like eight seconds. Okay. Um, you know, uh, the change of direction. I sat there and counted one time in practice how many change of directions they had in an hour. It was an hour and 25, hour, 30-minute practice. This the, the libero, she had three times the amount of the girls up front. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, just knowing things like that, I think that, that it's imperative for the strength coach to understand that because – how do you train for something not knowing what you're training for? Like actually knowing. Yeah. Okay. And that's that to me, that's 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 everything. Like if you want to really check all the boxes and say you fully prepared this athlete to not only per- perform at a high level, but be resilient to injuries and overuse injuries and all these things that come along with sport, you can't confidently say that unless you know exactly what's going on in that sport. Exactly. Now you touched on something in there that I thought was really, really profound. The difference in positional demands in something like football. We have a bunch of different sports going on simultaneously in one practice. If you really break it down from not only the bioenergetics or how we utilize energy, but to just how they move and how they function. And I think there's this point, I think every football strength coach hits this threshold when you get through that first practice of preseason and the position coach comes up to you like, my guys look like shit or, hey, 
you did a great job this offseason. And you think in the back of your mind, like, what the hell did I do, relatively speaking, to what that guy was asking me for? And it comes down to these, like, whatever arbitrary standards they have during practice. Like, if they're a D lineman, can they go through the hoops? Can they go through the bags? If they're a defensive back, can they turn their hips? If they're a wide receiver, are they looking not only crisp in their change of direction on their routes, but can they do that through the full 20 periods, right? And we all know how these guys are just going to try to set an example of practice one. So there's two really big areas. Like, do they have the foundation biomechanics to do that stuff they're asked for in practice? And do they have the actual physiological readiness from a conditioning standpoint to do it? And that, that thought process of you're going to get that feedback so fast, Right, your position coach is gonna come grab you at breakfast the next day, like, damn, my guys are great, man. You've crushed it this offseason. And then that confidence your athletes have in that position group, seeing that on film, right? Because they're all fighting for reps. And a lot of them are really trying to earn a spot right there during that individual period so they get more reps in team and then they can get a starting spot or try to get more reps in the game. And that's the only place to showcase that. If they're not ready from a movement standpoint or from an energy production standpoint, they're already behind. And I think that part too is a really cool area to kind of dive into. So, you know, let's look at from an annual plan. When you're thinking about, that's where I'm starting from is how they look during practice slash let's make them violent and physical and powerful in their game. You know, where are you thinking about from January to that August or now end of July to get to that point in the most efficient yeah. manner? So the way I look at it, I look at it as like an almost layered approach to training. So every sport, in my opinion, has four capacities. When I mean capacities, things, things that we create, right? So like athletes need to be strong. So we're going to talk about peak force, their ability, ability to produce peak force, the rate of force, the rate at which they produce that force, I think is extremely important. I think the ability to utilize a stretch shortening cycle is critical. Okay, is critical and no matter what sport you play. And then I think endurance, which is really a bastardized term, because to me, the way I define endurance is the repeat repeatability of a, of a specific task. Okay, so for me, like whenever I look at and design a program, no matter what sport it is, I'm attacking those four capacities. Those four capacities are going to be the, the foundation for the general skills that I'm going to train. Okay, and then my general skills are going to feed my specific skills. Now, for football, what I deem as general skills, I look at is acceleration, the ability to accelerate, okay, the ability to run at top speed, the ability to deaccelerate, okay, and then I look at my change of direction. Those are going to be general skills. Why are they general? Because they happen on every play. Every position group, no matter what position you play, kicker, punter, receiver, safety, they're going to have some one of those movements on a given play. Okay. And the reason why I call them general skills is because if you practice, like you talk from a biomechanical standpoint, if you rehearse these skills, you get better at it. So if I turn around and increase my capacities, my force production, my rate of force production, my stretch shortening cycle capabilities and my endurance, and then I turn around and I rehearse these biomechanical um, the, these biomechanical movements over and over, right? I, I hit those benchmark positions over and over and over again. I'm going to become better at those general skills. Now, those general skills allow you to be better at specific skills such as tackling, such as like you talked about, flipping your hips on break point for a DB, so, uh, such as running a, a crisp route, right? Like those are all things that are specific to sport, to football, and specific to positions, but are enhanced by better uh, higher levels of general skill 
and higher levels of general capacities. So when I break down my training, what I want to do is I want to make sure that that in the early off season, I am elevating and creating the highest reserves possible for those capacities. So I want to hammer peak force production. I want to hammer. I want to hammer rate of force production. I want to hammer uh, stretch shortening capabilities, and I want to hammer that endurance side of it. Okay, now I can get adaptation from rehearsing skills, right? Like by building, I can build capacities by by training skills. So, you know, early on, we're going to make sure that we have high levels of maximal strength production early in our program. Okay. Right, because the stronger I am from a relative body standpoint, the more the better I can I can move my body in any given environment and in space. That's a fact, right? Whether you're an old lineman or you're a gymnast, the stronger you are relative to your body weight, it, the better the better you can move yourself. Okay, so I want to make sure that we hammer that early on. I want to make sure that our accelerative capabilities go up early on. Right, I want to make sure that we're we're increasing our rate of force development. Those are going to be like that's that to me like if you have a, if I have a 400 pound bencher, but it takes him over 700 milliseconds to actually produce enough force to move somebody versus a 300 pound bencher who could produce enough force to move somebody in 200 milliseconds. Who wins that? It's the guy that can do it faster. Yeah. Right. So like there's a limit. There's a there's a point of diminishing return, which is absolute strength. I'm not saying that it's not necessary because I think sometimes people get that get that mixed up. Like it is very much necessary. But then do you move, like we talk about specificity is moving closer to the time constraints of sport, the movement patterns of sport, all these different things. Do you start to train in that time parameter where you can only generate a certain amount of force in that time? That's where rate of force is critical. I think rate of force is extremely important. Um, You know, and then when you look at the stretch shortening capabilities, like are you training eccentrically? Are you training isometrically? Are you training... Not just sitting in a concentric bubble. Like a lot of us just like to sit there and just think that we're we're making changes in, in these other contractions, right? Because these other contractions dominate our sport. Like you look at an old lineman, he absorbs more force when he's pass blocking or even when he's run blocking with a D lineman jumping at him. Okay, that's an eccentric action. You know, and then it's followed by a strong, if they stalemate, that's an isometric action. Like it is not just a concentric action all the time. So we want to make sure that we're hitting all those as well. Um, and we're not just saying, okay, we're going to stay all the way to the far right of the force velocity curve. No, we're hitting both sides of that force velocity curve. All right. Um, you know, but we want to make sure that we're building foundational strength. We're rehearsing good acceleration mechanics. We're rehearsing good deacceleration mechanics, which has proven to for, for, for us specifically to dramatically decrease uh, soft tissue injuries and non-contact injuries yeah. dramatically. And then the performance side of it, like we just spoke of, like if you have – when you think of uh, the stretch shortening side, you have a thicker band that you can pull further that snaps harder. Well, the pulling part, like the thickness and the pulling part, that's the eccentric side of it. So when you start to train that deacceleration capability and you increase eccentric peak force and you increase eccentric rate of force, like your ability to produce force on the concentric side of it goes way up. And that's something that we see in the performance benefit of it. So we want to make sure that we have that foundational strength. And then what we want to do is we want to move closer and closer to the, the demands of the game, right? So, like, we want to train just general acceleration and general maximum speed. Okay, now let's make it more applicable. So now let's put it in a situation where they're chasing somebody or they have to maneuver around objects as they're at max speed, right? Because they're 
outside of track, we're not running in a straight line. Okay, then let's go from that position and turn around and translate it to where now there's opponents that they have to deal with. Okay, instead of me running around bags, now I'm chasing somebody mm-hmm. or I'm trying to outrun somebody. You know, and that's where, like, for us, where we saw, like, to me, where we're, we're, I think a lot more strength coaches in football need to get to is, I think, um, you know, small-sided games. Constraint-led approach, you know, for, for learning and, and for exposure, you know, like where you're doing a lot of chase tag-off games, where you're doing a lot of short area tackle games, uh, where you're doing a lot of mirror games. And I think that's where you start to see, like, the transfer is specifically the positions. I think um, you have to start to inter- integrate more – Collision prep, right? Our old linemen are, are punching people over 200 times in a practice. Like, I don't want the first time he goes to go punch someone 200 times is at his first practice, mm-hmm. you know? And then you always you always hear old linemen, like, I'm like, how you feel? All oh, my legs feel good, but my shoulders and my arms, man, I'm just dead. Yeah. And, you know, and it's like, well, why? Or, or I didn't take into consideration as his coach. Like, all right, they're going to punch somebody over 200 times in a practice. Yeah. You know, does he have the upper back? Uh, musculature and is that shoulder girl have the integrity to withstand that over and over again like did I do a good enough job with that you know to give him that that solid foundation to punch off of. you know so like those are things for me is as you go from the beginning of the offseason transition to preseason I think you have to start to 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 intervene with more specific things such as those small sided games such as um, collision prep, like Andy Ragland does an unbelievable job, and I know you just actually—I saw on Twitter you were you were talking with Nick DeMarco, and he does a great job of like the contact prep stuff. That's just t- a ton of stuff I stole from them, whether it's the rugby scrum drill or a push pull drill or those things. Like our big guys need exposure to that, and then there's a specific uh, metabolic signature to those. You know, like everyone always says, like, oh yeah, you, you don't know how tired you could be until you go wrestle somebody. Well, that's what O-linemen and D-linemen do, right? Like, and that's why, like, okay, we can say, yeah, my O-lineman passed the 110 test. Well, can he wrestle someone for five minutes straight? Mm-hmm. Or can he wrestle someone for, for six to eight seconds at a pop and then only rest 25 seconds and do that about 12 times? Because that's what's going to happen in a game. That's what's going to happen in a practice. So for us, it's like we want to introduce collision prep. We want to introduce more uh, small-sided games. We want to develop those general skills all offseason, right? Like we want to maximize the crit results. I want my guys to run two to, you know, one to two miles per hour faster than they did the season before. I want them to accelerate uh, at a faster rate than they did before. I want them to jump higher, all those things. But now that's great. But now how do we translate that to the game? And that's where you have to intervene with things that are specific to the game, like those small sided games and having an opponent introduce them to agility, introduce them to chase tag drills, introduce them to combat prep and all and collision prep and all these things. Because without that, you're you're not preparing. You're hoping they're prepared. Okay, but you're not they're not prepared. Because you can't put that that stamp of approval like, yeah, we checked every box. I feel great going into practice one. And, you know, that really shows up. I think you see that with, with training camp where majority – where do majority of injuries happen in football? That first week. Right, first week or second week, right? Like, it usually, like, you have, like, a wave of bad things happen and then all of a sudden it calms down. It's because they adapt, right? Mm-hmm. For us, this year, we had zero injuries that limited participation in game one. Zero. Coming out of training camp. That's really and it, building into that, though, too, where you've actually built that conversation over a it, it, Exactly. You know, so, like, year one, we had four, and it was a COVID year. We had four at camp. Um, year two, we had, I think we had three. This year, we had zero. 
you know, and I, I think we put a more we put more of an emphasis on deacceleration training this year, and we put more an emphasis more on like we talked about the the, the constraint led approach and putting these guys in small sided games and exposing them to more specific elements during the summertime. You know, we did more one on one work, we did more more seven on seven work than we did previously, and it paid off. Right, it was very specific to what we wanted to do with them, and it paid off in the injury resiliency side of it. You know. I'm asking my guys on practice one, how y'all feeling? They're like, man, this is easy. And I'm like, they're like, well, and, they're, and, and then the response is always from them. is like, well, coach, we've been doing stuff like this all summer. And that's what I loved. I was like, okay, you get it. Like, and, like they get it without even knowing they get it. You know, and that to me, that's got to be the benchmark of the success is like, okay, what's your, especially football, like you can't, you can't help, you can't prevent it, but you can mitigate problems. You could like you get a rash of bad luck. You get a kid that steps in a pothole and he tears his ACL. There's nothing you can do about that, right? But if I got a bunch of labrum issues, if I got a bunch of soft tissue injuries, like a lot of that is tissue tolerance and, and load tolerance, and that's going to go back to were you specific enough? Did you prepare them enough for what they have to do repeatedly day in day out? And a lot of times like we think we do and i was the same and I, I say that because i was like the main one doing like five years ago i'm like yeah we do this for straight we're good all we gotta do is train max speed all we gotta do is train some change in direction and we'll kill camp right and my guys will be in shape they'll kill camp and then you go into camping like you said you get guys that are dying during the practice you get guys that get you know overuse injuries in the first week or you get guys that get catastrophic injuries and you're like well well damn what what happened What's the deal? Like, you know, you didn't you didn't cross that bridge. You didn't cross that bridge to get specific enough in the training and in the, in the approach to to say and feel good and and have these guys adapt to be ready for that practice. Mm -hmm. I want to um, talk. Keep going on this offseason thing because I think a common misconception is people who are getting into strength conditioning in the collegiate sector think that the offseason plan is just dictated, right? It's not like it's fixed, right? So you get eight weeks in the winter, four weeks of spring ball, four weeks of discretionary, and then eight weeks in the summer. You have autonomy there. And what I found, the more you have a dialed in plan and you can present that to your head coach and position coaches and coordinators, the more they'll buy into that plan, right? Because their first instinct is, how do I schedule this around recruiting? How do I schedule this around that's most convenience for me in my vacation? So you might see a February spring ball, you might see a, uh, a two week winter program and then six weeks of spring practice and then three weeks of a spring training program, which is if you're really trying to build out these qualities and what you just layered in and force rate of force deceleration and then looking at endurance, that's going to be really challenging. So from you to your head coach or your coordinators, what is your strategy in communicating the value of having time or having autonomy with how you schedule this out in the off season to get these qualities really, really pushed in the right direction so you can peak them? Is it start from the end and here's what we're going to get you prepared for camp and we need to do this before? Or is it, hey, I really need this time to develop this general qualities? How are you communicating that to your coaches? Yeah, I think I think with the coach, you got to, hey, you got to, you got to, you got to have to, to have the uh, right on a napkin version. Right, like me and you, we're strength coaches. We can sit here. I can talk about rate of force and all these things. With a coach, you got you got to a speak their language. I think that's important, right? So, and you got to figure out what they want to do, because I think that's going to dictate what you do as well. So, like I've been in a situation where I had a head coach. He's like, I want to do spring ball week five of of uh, of of the off season, and I'm like, 
okay, so guess what? That could, I mean, that dramatically changes your plan, yeah. right? It's like we go on a straight, hey, we need to be able to, we go on a capacity board. I'm like, we need to be able to withstand practices. Like, let's go. Like, yeah, we're going to try to get you stronger for sure, but you got to be able to withstand those, the, the practice. So we're, we're, we're changing our modalities a little bit. Mm-hmm. You know, I've had coaches that gave me 12 weeks, you know, when we ended on a spring ball, which I, I that's my preferable schedule. Absolutely. You know, and when you have, like you say, when you have time, um, I think it's easy to explain to the coach, like, this is what we're going to test. This is the benchmarks we're looking for. Um, and this is what the phase of training is about. You know, and and you, I, I think you got to sell them more on the end goal, the vision of what it's going to look like at the end. Like, coach, our guys, you know, we should see a percent increase in our vertical of this, close to this. We should see a, an increase in our maximal speed of this in this phase. Um, this phase right here is about building maximal strength. So guess what? Like our squat maxes or whatever you're doing, bench max, clean max, whatever it may be, this is what it's going to look like in this phase and what we're attacking. And then I think, you know, for the coach to gain trust is you you kind of fill in and show him that you've achieved those benchmarks. Like, yeah, like, you know, and you show him, like, hey, coach, this is a, you know, hypertrophy phase. Okay, well, we had an average increase in lean mass of two pounds, which is a lot, right? We know that's a lot. Like, that's a lot. And it's like you have before-after pictures. I know everyone clowns them, but, like, coaches want to see progress. It's so much easier – to get and get what the athletes need when the coaches have 100% buy-in. And the easiest way to create buy-in is, is through the visual representation of them getting better. So when I send a coach a video, he might not know, I might have a kid clean 350. And the kid's max might have been before 347, you know, like, but I'm like, yeah, coach, 350, man, it's crazy. You know, like the visual representation of that kid doing it, even though it's a three-pound increase, he's like, our guys are getting stronger. Our guys are getting better. You know, or if I have a before after picture where a kid's gained eight to nine pounds over a year, you know, and it, he goes in there and the kid feels confident. He looks big and you show the coach that he's like, man, they, yeah, that kid did a really good job. That looks good. And that just it, like I look at it as like it just helps you, on, you know, going into the next year mm-hmm. and it helps you with the kid, too. You know, like the kid feels confident. The kid feels good about it. And they're going to be your biggest advocates. They're going to help you most because if they're like, yeah. Man, when we get with Coach Joey for like, he gives us eight weeks, man, I get right. And then before you know, the coaches hear that, they're like, okay, like, let's give him more time with Coach Joey. Let's leave him alone. Let's not do a fourth quarter program. Let's not do something like that. Let's just give it to him. He's got it. We know he's got it. Let him take care of his business. And then I think, again, with the injury report is a a huge deal, too. It's like, if you go in there and you're in week four of the offseason and, you know, you got 10 hamstrings on your injury report, they're going to want to intervene. When there's problems, that's when they want to intervene, right? Like, that's going to be the biggest thing is when there's problems, when there's issues. And, you know, so for us, it's like, you know, we want to make sure that we're training smart. We're training progressively throughout the, the year. Um, we're giving them feedback. Like, we we have feedback mechanisms built into our program. Like, we have uh, Excel or uh, Google Docs to where it's a drop-down menu where they click their name, and it shows their progress for the entire, the entire offseason. And they get access that every week. So we send the link out every Friday and we send it to the position coaches in a PDF. Like, this is your guy up to this point. His body weight, his height, or his body weight, his bar speed on whatever exercise we had, his vertical jump for the last two, three weeks, his miles per hour the last two, three weeks. 
you know, so again, like I think those feedback mechanisms really help because then you could be like, well, yeah, we're turning the right way, coach. Yeah. Like his mile power might be down right now because that's not a main emphasis in our training. But look at his squat speeds. We're trying to hammer maximum strength right now. Look at his squat speeds. Those those miles per hour will come up. And I think if you you break it down, if you're able to write it on a napkin in the explanation, I think that really helps out the process and, and you getting what you need out of getting the time allotment from the coach and getting the coaches buying and, and having the, the resources from the coaches because they could help you too. You know, like, you, you you know, you've had players that's like, kind of like, why are we doing this or that? And then all of a sudden a position coach like, no, nah, Coach Joey going to get you right. You're doing this because of this. And then that kid comes back, a different kid, and he's way easier to deal with. And you're just like, well, what happened? Oh, yeah, I talked to him. I talked about your program. Well, that only happens if you educate the coaches on what you're trying to do. Mm-hmm. So I think having clear, defined goals – having clear defined benchmarks of where you want these kids to be at. You know, I tell coaches all the time, like our kids aren't going to look like they're in really good shape until like week four. You know, like, so during conditioning, there's going to be some bad body language. Yeah, we're going to address it. Like, cause that's the, the, the traditional football side of it. Like we have to address it, but don't freak out if a kid puts his hands on his knees and he looks like he's dying, like in week two, like he's been off for four weeks. Like that's supposed to look that way. So I think whenever you can educate them up front, whenever you can give them, what they're supposed to look like or where they're supposed to be. Um, and and then you sell them on where they're going to be and what they're going to look like. And then you you fulfill those. I think you can get really good coach buyer. And I think it really helps with the planning process. I think you start to, to really gain trust from the coaches. And when you gain trust from the coaches, that's when you, you can make some magic happen because then you have real ability to change intervene and move things around. It's such a underlooked aspect of the strength conditioning job because I think too often we lack empathy for a position coach or a coordinator because they're pretty myopically focusing on what they're doing. But in their mind, they're entrusting you with their guys. And it's not like this thing that you should take for granted because their year from January pretty much to August, just about trying to convince other kids that should come to your school. And they have a bunch of guys that they basically have diminished contact point with, but they're trusting you to maintain and build them up based off the hard work they had to put in to get in there. So something like mat drills or pre spring ball conditioning with football coaches, you know, a lot of times people look at that, it's pretty archaic, it's pretty silly, but when does that come? It comes right after signing day and coaches can kind of realign what their purpose is in developing their guys. It might not be a matter of like, hey, everyone agrees this is kind of a stupid use of time for the grand scheme of things in the annual cycle, but it might mean, hey, this is a really good way to get back with our team, with my position group, see where they're at, and even kind of look at that and saying, okay, I can understand that. And then that little thing of sending a Google Doc or a PDF to that coach who's going on a trip to California all the way from Florida to recruit a guy that he's going to have to work really hard to convince that your school is better than the other school out there. And he comes back on Monday knowing that, like, I don't know what coach did with them in the, that past week or if they got in trouble over the weekend and my head coach is barking at me because their grades are down or they got a DUI. Like that little thing of like, hey, your guy's working really hard. We're doing a great job this offseason. We're ready for mat drills. We're ready for spring ball. Guys are really buying in. Like they're going to go, okay, hey, get on the table when it comes down to times like you have to present GPS reports and during preseason practice and saying probably our best interest to cut back on periods tomorrow or go shells or that other thing of, hey, we found when we did GPS with our defensive backs and wide receivers is they were not just doing 7,500 yards. They were doing miles, like three to five miles because we were setting up our practice plan from our 
our game field to our practice field back and forth, like four or five transitions. Hey, defensive backs coach, do we have to transition to the game field to do walk install? Can we do that right over here in the corner and save some save some miles here? Exactly. Yeah. But if I came out and blankly and said, this is fucking dumb, don't do that, they're going to be pissed. And they're going to be like, who the fuck are you to tell me what to do, man? Like, you've got to get your guys, my guys ready for me to do what I'm going to do during practice as opposed to a, a harmonious relationship. And I don't want to kind of go into that part of the PDF for you. And now you've been kind of running into, you talked about your transition from year five years ago to just, all right, just get them strong and fast to let's look at this as a reverse engineering process from August one to Jan one. Are you looking at any benchmarks that you feel like, okay, we're on the right track here, like phase one of this off season from improving force, rate of force development, starting to transition to stretch running cycle and endurance. Like, are there points in January and February all the way through to July and August that you feel like, okay, this is good, man. This, we're in a good spot here. Yeah. So like when, when I'm looking at early off season, you know, the things that I want to see, especially because we, we don't do traditional one rep max testing here. What we do is, is we have, we have VBT. And what I like to do is I like to do a 90% basically temperature check is we'll put 90% on the bar on whatever, strength exercise we deem important at that time. So I'll just use back squat as, a, as an example. So say we, we're hammering, we want to get stronger lower body, right? If I, at the end of that four week cycle, okay, we're going to put 90% on there. We're going to hit it for a single. We're going to we're record their velocity, right? And, and anyone familiar with VBT knows that there is specific ranges that are associated with percentages. So if they climb up to a new level or new range of like, or new speed, that correlates to a lighter percentage, that means that they've got strong. Yeah. You know, so if I got a guy that goes and hits 90% of his, his one arm back squat, he puts 445 on the bar, right? He takes it out, goes ass the grass, and he hits it at 0.67, which is screaming for 90%. When we had on record that his previous 90% was, was the same weight, but his velocity was 0.48. Like gaining the two meters per second means he's got a hell of a lot stronger. Yeah. So we'll do that for, you know, some of these numbers such as, you know, we'll do it for squat. We'll do it for, for our, our lower body dominant exercise, whatever it may be in that phase. Our upper body pressing exercise, we'll do it for that phase. Um, I love testing um, weighted chin-ups oh, yeah. as relative body strength markers. Like, I'm telling you, man, like, I, I, it, I, I absolutely love it. And, it, you know, it, it's funny because, like, we ran – a correlation test, you know, we ran a test with that, or a statistical test to see what the correlation was between lower body strength and our pull-up strength. And it's, it was like, our confidence interval was ridiculous. It was like, it, I mean, it was almost like dead on. Like, our strongest lower body guys or our, our relative body strength guys are, are the strongest. Yeah. You know, the guys that, uh, you know, like, the craziest thing I've ever seen, I saw uh, a fullback that plays for the Saints, his name's Adam Prentice. He played for me at Colorado State. He ended up doing, he was touring 60 pounds. And he did a chin-up, straight chin-up, where he hung first, came up, paused, and controlled himself down. We, I think we had, I think it was like 290 pounds plus under him. It was insane. He's a, he, and he's, I mean, he's a monster. Fuck he's a 405 pounds. 550, a 550 chin-up. Yeah, it was insane. I was, I, I, I was floored. I was like, there's no way he gets this. You know, like, because like he had that kind of pounds. Place. He's wobbling over there like this is yeah. work out, no doubt. Yeah, yeah. for sure. We yeah. I like put a shade on his neck and he had a weight vest on him on top. And I was like, there's no way. Yeah. And he hangs and he gets up there and he comes down and he's like, I told you. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, that's insane. <laughs> that's, but, you know, he's in the NFL and he cleans 405 
at will. Like I have multiple videos of him just smashing four five when he was here in the off season, and you know, and but it's it was a weird. It's it's a very strong correlation. So I love weighted chin up tests. Like so, like when we're testing max speed or max strength. Uh, for acceleration, I mean, you can't go wrong with a 10, especially early on. Like, if we get stronger, I expect their 10s to go down, right? Because that's going to be starting strength and that's going to be a little bit of power. Yeah. And both are influenced by maximum strength. So we're going to look at that early on. I want to see the vertical jumps go up a little bit. It doesn't have to be dramatic because we're not doing a ton of rate. Like, we're doing rate of force development uh, training, but not at the same emphasis as our lower body or our, our, our peak force training at that point in time. You know, so those are some things that we look at. And then as you transition, like we look at um, when we start to get into more um, elastic training and we get into more specific training, like we're looking at standing triple jump. We're looking at uh, our fly tens. Um, these are still general metrics because they're not specific to sport, but these are these are things we look at. And then we start to when we really want to get specific, like you talked about, like running, running through hoops or bags, like we time arc runs. Like to me, that's a, a semi specific event that you can time right like we time arc runs we time s runs right and those are things that i think from a timing state now they're you can still classify them as general but they're way more specific than a fly 10. you know so we'll look at those um we we test decelerations so what we'll do is we'll have timing gates well a 10-yard timing gate so you have to run as at least 90 percent of your average 10-yard time in order for the test to be validated and, and counted and then what we'll do is we have uh, a camera on the side of it where it's picking up not only the distance that it takes you to stop, but the time to stop, you know, because I think those are critical, critical. And I, that's some stuff that I, I've stolen from Damian Harper, who does, who's done an unbelievable job pushing the deacceleration rhetoric, which is important, man. Um, you know, and those are things that we look at. And then, you know, and then we, when we get in the summer, there's things that are more important for receivers than there's going to be for O-linemen. Like O-linemen, we still want to get well, a lot stronger, right? We still want to increase lower body strength, all those things. For receivers, yeah, like it'd be cool if my my, my, my corner, my receiver bench is 335, but it really doesn't fucking matter when you're on the field. Yeah. You know, I'd rather him run 22.4 miles an hour or I'd rather him jump 42 inches. Mm -hmm. So I think as, you know, again, same the same way that when you, you look and you plan for the year, I think your testing follows suit from like, okay, we're going to go from general testing to this more specific testing as the year goes on, you know? And, and you touched on a really cool point of, you know, what you, what gets measured gets mapped. It gets, begins to matter, right? And specificity is a, a term that we can just throw out there. It's a nice to say, but a lot of people really don't follow through with it, right? You know, you kind of just, like you said, do your job and then hand them over and then see what happens. Versus, hey, we're making that violent transition right now in summer to get ready for preseason. And I want you as prepared as humanly possible for practice. And here are some some more closer, but not 100% specific tests, like an S run or a curve run or decelerated times. And then the other part, which is really cool, and I'm sure this kind of came up organically, is you could communicate return to play with sports med probably a little bit more efficiently. Like, hey, like, if they can't reach 90% acceleration, you know, we we'll probably need to really concern ourselves with that person can't decelerate properly, or if we can't do an arc run or an S run. Are they really ready for camp? You know, coming off an ACL 12 months ago, and they still can't yeah. these basic fundamental skills or reach these benchmarks. Okay, we're probably not there yet, and that's okay. We need to revise and maybe get out there in front with that position coach and that our head coach and saying, 
hey, we've been going through the rehab process a little slower, have these benchmarks. It's just not there yet. So we want a little bit more time and we might need to be more cautious during preseason. And they're like, okay, well, it sucks. He's not where he needs to be, but thank you for getting ahead on it. Like the, the hardest part we always kind of go through is a rehab guy, return to play guy, or a guy who gets hurt in training and just pulling the bandaid with that coach and saying, I don't think he's ready yet. And the best interest of that kid, right? That, that's where it becomes really problematic because it's easy to say kind of the athletic trainer's fault here. So just Hopefully, hope for the best. The kid doesn't get hurt, but that's not what's going on kid. And it's funny you mentioned that because we had we had we had a situation here where a kid had a, a pretty a pretty decent MCL sprain, right? And the trainer's like, "Well, he's checking all the boxes in here," and I, we have a really good relationship where I'm training. And he was like, "Well, he's checking all the boxes in here," and the conversation became, "Well, how's it look for you?" And I'm like, "Well, listen, his vertical jump is still six percent down from what it was prior to the injury two weeks ago." All right, I said his bar speed like. He's not even touching the bar speeds that we want him to hit at the at the prescribed load that we want him to hit. I was like, we need to slow play him. I was like, we need to slow him down a little bit. So I was like, do me a favor, slow him down, give him another week, and I think we'll have a, a much better outcome. And that's exactly what we did. And the, and the kid was fully integrated after that week was over. And he was after we made up the ground. And, and the kid even said, he goes, I feel a lot more comfortable. No, now knowing like I'm back there, all the numbers I was at, and I feel better. Like, I feel better from a physical standpoint. Now you can integrate me back in. And I think that's just where, you know, you have to sit down with the trainer. You talk about harmonious relationships. Like, you have to figure that out. And if you have the resources to do it, there's no reason in the world you shouldn't have benchmarks for these kids to hit. There's, like, you shouldn't be like, you know what? We're at week eight or week or month eight, ACL, you're good to go. Like, that shouldn't be the case. Like, how are you deaccelerating? How are you, how's your vertical jump look? How's your maximum speed look? Um, you know, what is your, 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 your volume tolerance? Like, have you been exposed to volumes that you're going to be close to going to? Cause like, that's the last thing in the world we want to do is say, Hey, you're ready to go. Okay. But since your injury, you haven't gone over 3000 yards, but you're going to do 7,000 because it's, it's month eight. You're good to go. You know, so our trainers love us because we have all this information readily available. And then obviously with the GPS and all that stuff too, is like, like I could tell a guy, I could tell him like we uh with our illnesses, right? So like everyone deals with co- post COVID error and sicknesses and all those things. Like a kid gets sick, Bill will tell me our trainer, but like, hey, I need him at seventy five percent volume today. Easy, because we already know what his maximum threshold volume was because we have it recorded, and then we're telling the position coach, hey, hey coach, you're in period fourteen, he's almost there. You might want to tone down his reps if you want to have him for team in period twenty. You know, and that's that's you talk about like full circle, like a harmonious working relationship with not just the trainer, but the position coach and where the technology and having those benchmarks and having those specific numbers available. Like that's where it does real, real like good work and, and it really benefits the athlete. Like it, it makes the, it makes things safe, yeah. which is, is what you want to do. So this is a cool like segue here, because I think going back to the beginning of this conversation, a large part of. I think the fear, the the opposition to that term sports specific is losing the ability to have an impact on the athlete being a strength conditioning coach, right? So if we look at just from a broad scope, of like 90, 99% of our industry is going to be really good at developing very general qualities, right? Get them strong, get them well-conditioned, get them faster, right? The, the generic cliche thing that you might describe us as, right? 
and that's okay, right? Like I would sit there and say that you're going to be better at getting those three qualities better than your wide receivers coach or your athletic trainer, bar none. But relatively speaking, they're probably really good at installing their game plan and working on position-specific drills. And then the athletic trainer or physical therapist is really good at diagnosing and treating pain and returning to play. And collectively, those areas don't diminish the value that you bring. You just need to have a role or integration or some sort of synergy between how they connect. And here's some benchmarks to give you more validation so I can go to that position coach and vice versa. So we can all create this better circle. So in a lot of ways, I think there's this element of saying we're doing a sports specific or a true North Pacific program to football or swimming or whatever is not saying that we have less value that you aren't a position coach and you don't know how to do D line drills to the level as the D line coach that works with you. It's saying that you have a role relatively speaking to those sports specific skills. And then you have kind of indicators to say whether you're doing your job effectively or not. And that true North is there. Uh, that statement, would you agree with that? Would you say that's like, not nah, fucking bullshit. I can think that's all. No, I think, I think, it's, I think you're absolutely right. I think in a perfect world, like one person should be able to do all those jobs, but we don't, like, it's, it's just so much knowledge and so much that you'd have to learn that it, that's why it is what it is. That's why you have different departments. And that's why you have different responsibilities and different roles. And I think it's very important, like you said, is, is to always keep the betterment of the athlete and performance at the forefront of your mind and be less territorial about your own space. Like every everything we do is supplemental for the game like it's to the game like it's it's to create a better athlete and to hopefully create a better player through the specificity side of it right and that's where the skill development comes in specifically with the position coaches right i think strength coaches add more value to themselves when they do understand the skill development side better you know if you if whether it's, I, hey, I played linebacker, so I understand linebacker indie, I understand fundamentals of, of the position, I understand tackling better. But I think, like, coaches need to step outside the box with some of these ideas and some of these thoughts, and they need to get into uncomfortable, position, un- uncomfortable positions and go ask, like, one of, the, one of the best things and most fun things about my job is, is like, when we get new coaches, right? Because you, you know how it is. Like, every year you're going to meet one or two new coaches depending upon – circumstances you're in, right? Hired, fired, moved on, whatever it is. One of my favorite things is to go learn how they teach sports-specific movement. Like, how do you teach a release for a receiver on press man? Like, my corner coach, like, what are you teaching? You teach an inch step? Are you teaching an open step? Are you teaching a a shuffle slide step? Like, because now all it's doing is increasing my own knowledge of the game through them. And I think you also have to give them time with the kids. Like it's a, with skill development in the off season, like that's their job. Like my corners coach is going to do a way better job teaching them how to cover somebody than I would. And if it's my job to make a better football player, because at the end of the day, that's what I'm here to do is I'm here to aid the football side, football performance. That's what I'm here to do. If we get to a certain point in the off season where I'm like, Hey coach, especially the NCAA bylaws now, like they get time, they are able to do any of these things. Hey coach, we're in week six. You want them for 30 minutes? Cause you could have them. And their eyes light up. They're like, hell yeah. Like awesome. And I'm like, yeah, well I'll warm them up. You take them for 30 minutes and then we'll finish off with like maybe some agility circuits, 
maybe some tag off drills where we're reinforcing the technique you just taught. Mm-hmm. You know, and they're like, holy shit, this is awesome. I'm like, you know, great. You know, that, and that's to me where like, you could get specific through those coaches. Like you could, you got to use the resources at hand. Yeah. Like, if, if, you know, if, I think about basketball all the time. I'm like, okay, you know, they do three on threes and they do one on ones with coaches, right? In the off season. I'm like, that's awesome. Like if I go and we do a power session, right? Like we we're doing a whole bunch of jumping and we do, you know, some rate of force development training in there. And then I'm like, Hey, you know what? You want to take him and work rebounding now? Like that fits. That's a, that's a model that fits, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, okay, I hit him with, with the general work. Now he's getting tacked on with the technical tactical side, the specific work. Like that's a comprehensive program to get that kid's performance up. And I think that's what it's about. And I think me as strength coaches, like, cause you said, I, and I think it boils back to like, we weren't really like, we climbed out of the dark ages, right? Technology allows us to actually show what we're doing worse. Before it was like, we didn't have that, right? Like I need my time because I'm important and I'm going to show you that by how I grind these kids up, you know, and that was, it was necessity because we were, we're in the infancy stages of our, of this profession still. Okay. People are still trying to figure out how to evaluate us and how to determine our worth. And then early on, the only way to do that was, was to mash them up and show squat numbers, right? Like everyone got stronger, everyone got bigger and these guys work extremely hard. Come look at them. So please pay me. And I'm not knocking those coaches because, you know, like I I had a conversation with Coach Parker about that, Johnny Parker about that. And it was like it was a necessity, right, for their survival and for the the evolution of our profession. They had to prove their worth. Now we're in a a situation now where it's like we can show that through so many other ways. And then we can still give other people their due and their time to develop that player in whatever sport it is through skill development, through tactical, tactical and technical skills. Right. Like. I've had really strong, fast kids that sucked. And then I've had really average kids that were extremely smart football players that were ballers. Like, we've all seen the, 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 that those outliers on both sides of it. And it's like, if I can plan all that in my program, like, am I not just doing – am I, am I doing better by the kid? I, I think I am. Yeah. You know, if I have – okay, hey, coach, you can have 15, 20 minutes of Indy. Hey, coach – you know what? I have eight hours, but you can take an hour and do meetings because I don't need it right now. You know, and which is a good makes- segue, though, because I mean, a lot of us are going to be looking at new jobs here in January. And you're lying to yourself if you think that first offseason with a new team or a new staff that you're going to have the eight hours every single week for the next eight weeks, because those yeah. coaches are going to start trickling down there like I need 30 minutes. I need to talk to them. Or I need to grab them. I need to go through the seniors. Hey, here's the install, which kind of goes into this next question. Let's say that we go forward here a month and you're working with the new staff and whether it's that current place or a new place, where are you starting? Are you starting schematically? Are you talking, are you starting with position coaches? Are we running a three, five? Are we running a spread? Like, where do you start with trying to come up with what is the vector here for your specific outlet here? Yeah, so the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to ask the coach, what is what does our practice look like? What do, where do we what does your practice look like? Uh, how much indie time do we get? Where are special teams positioned in the practice? What's the total duration? Because that's really going to determine you know the, the volume and the load of, of the practice. For sure. You know, um, so that's the first thing I'm going to ask. The second thing I'm going to ask, and I'm going to go to each position coach and be like, what do you do for indie? 
what are the, what are the specifics of indie? What are you are you a hey let's slow indie down, let's teach more, or hey and I'm not saying it's good or bad, right? I'm not, I'm not here to judge them because they're at this point in time they're the professionals and and they feel what they do is, is going to work, you know. But you have the, the indie coach that is like from the beginning of the horn of indie to the end of it, it is a it is a smash them up, break them up. Go, 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 go session, right? Like, so I got to find that out. Yeah. I got to find that out. And then what I have to look at is, like you said, are we a hurry-up offense? Are we a huddle offense? Okay, are we spread? Are we going to have more skill p- positions? Or are we a more run-dominant offense? Um, defensively, what are you looking for? What are your prototypical-looking positional standards, right? Like, do you want big, heavy defensive tackles? Or do you want agile, fast, like quick dudes? Like I can't change a body type, but I can, I can change training to try to match what you're looking for. Yeah, you know. So those are things I think you definitely have to ask for, and you have you have to know upfront. Like you're not, you can't just be like, this is my program. This is my program. And this is what it's gonna do, and y'all figure it out. No, that's 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 very short sighted. You got to go to them and figure out what is the end game. What are they trying to do? Like, what what does the team what is the team supposed to look like? Mm-hmm. Like, what do you want to see on your offense? What do you want to see your offensive line? What do you want to see in your tight ends? Right? Like, because if we turn around and like, hey, listen, we don't care about our tight end blocking. We need them to be agile and fast and create matchup problems. Like, I'm not. If we split up in a run, I'm not sending them with bigs. I'm sending them with skill. Yeah. You know, and those are things that I need. Hey, we, we want linebackers that can go sideline to sideline. I don't need box space eaters. All right, guess what? It's, it, you're, it's different training. Yeah. You know, or hey, you know what? We want to we want to control the clock. We want to slow the game down. And we want to run the ball 60 times. Like, that's not the same as, hey, let's go air raid. That's so good. Just running ball 60 times, man. It's just such a strange. Oh, thing. I love it. I love it. I know you lived in that world, so. <laughs> oh, it's so good, man. You put, you yeah. put your tight ends with the ta- with the offensive line. You're basically you're just a uh, extra offensive lineman. Yeah. You basically tell your middle linebackers you're just a stand up D tackle. Like it's so good, man. It's just you just get everyone big, man. It's so fun. It's just yeah. It's a journey, yeah. If you don't know that, right? If you don't do your research, like so, the first thing, like if I have a potential interview or. I have a new offense coordinator coming. The first thing I do is I look up his offense, his style of play, and then I look at the recruits that he's brought in. Because that's going to give me a good indicator of where to start, how to program, how to change things, right? Like when I was at Ole Miss with Paul Jackson, we ran a high-tempo offense. Our, our practices were like in an hour and 45 minutes, but from the start to the end, it was go, 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 go. Which can imagine from a quarterback, what's the throw count on that? And you're not even That's what I'm saying. Right? Like, like those are those – those are things that you take into consideration. So our 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 conditioning revolved around repeat sprint ability. Yeah. Like trying to get them to have really high outputs in short recovery periods. Like we got down all the way to like, I think it was like 20 second rest periods at one point in time. Yeah. Because we we're trying to snap the ball every 16 seconds. Mm-hmm. Okay, versus when I worked for Coach Mike Bobo at Colorado State, man, it was it was 12 personnel, it was slow the game down, it was run the ball. Yeah. So again, like we're trying to stop the ball every 40 seconds. That's a big difference. That's a huge difference, right? We need our offensive lineman bigger because we ran more gap schemes. Okay. We ran more power. We need them to be stronger. They didn't need to be as agile as, as, you know, we ran more zone schemes with Coach Freeze and we ran, 
uh, more outsides than anything. We ran a ton of screens and ton of tunnel screens, all these things where these old linemen had to be in space. That's different style of training. So again, I think it just, if you boil it down a little, you got to do your research. You got to do your homework. Well, and two, look at the schools you're at. Like, if I'm a betting man, I'm assuming Colorado is like, we got our best chance of winning conference or being really good here is making sure 22 guys are really good and healthy for 12 games. Versus Ole Miss, like maybe it's 40. Maybe it's 45 guys that need to be really developed because you can kind of get some backups in there every once in a while and they're just as good as the ones. And like, I'm sure Georgia right now is thinking, how do we get equal reps for our one versus our three in each depth chart? And that's from a developmental standpoint, it's very like equal distributed in terms of stress and workload versus when we were at Georgia Tech, it was our only chance to win conference right now is if our 11 and 11 actually are really good and, and healthy. Yeah. And from a work management standpoint, do we need to do a whole lot of overtraining in season with these guys and really pushing them? Or on the other end, with our development guys, it's a shit day. Like Tuesday, Wednesday for a development guy, scout guy, is a fucking awful experience. And you're going to bury them with like 10 by 10 and squats and stuff like that in season because their development, like they got to go 24 periods and get their shit pushed in for four hours straight, you know? Like, yeah, exactly. Ducks. That's a shitty day, you know, like oh, yeah. having that perspective of looking at your roster and saying, what's our chance? What's that coach that you're talking to? Like, I got two, I got one deep at every position here. Please don't fuck this up for me. Like, don't, because I'm not trying to say put the white gloves on and, and completely pa- be passive and just not do a whole lot. But if you're not realistic with your role in protecting your guys and developing them at the same time, relatively speaking to the depth in the roster you have, and it's not saying go fucking nuts if you have three deep in every position, it's just equally responsible because a lot of those guys can make a lot of money playing football one day. But there's a lot of elements looking at the roster, the depth, the position, the schematics, the the personality and practice. Like, I mean, we were a smash down, knock it out practice at Army, but we were our game at Army trying to still slow down the game, but we were rep, rep, rep in practice. And you're talking 24 periods, going three huddles and teams, trying to get 12 guys going in positional groups or individuals, like just getting as many reps as humanly possible to whatever, compensate for not having as good of an athlete or because it was more of the Spartan-esque or toughest, but it was a complete contrast from game to actual that. And it was the mentality of the hardest part of our week is practice, which whatever, that's fine. I'm not preparing them from the game anymore because the biggest limiting factor is them being tired or getting hurt in practice. I got to prepare them to do three huddles and team period for four periods straight. That's a lot of reps for both well, defense. Well, let's think, I, I hate that when guys are like, yeah, we're getting them ready for the game. Well, are, are you though? Like, I mean, the residuals of, of the summer training are going to last three to four weeks, which means that what they're going to play on is what they did in camp. Yeah. So, like, to me, it's like, like you said, like, especially in-season training, like, it's all reactive and it's supplement to what, like, the main thing is football. Keep the main thing the main thing. Like, give them what they're not getting in the sport and try to hold on to some of the training aspect or the training gains that you, you had over that offseason, right? And, that, and that's what you're supposed to do. Like, I went through, like, a huge transformation with my Debo guys as well. I was like, you know what, let's maximize it, let's – Let's get four lifts in a week and we'll change every lift and it'll be different for development. It'll be another off season. And like you said, like Tuesday, they're getting no rest and we're going 24 periods and they're going back to back to back to back. 
And then I'm going to come they're in here. And they're told how awful they are for four hours straight. Exactly. You know, you're doing a terrible job. You're not going to play here. And then, hey, you know what? Let's do five by five on squat with a fucking four second down tempo. Mm-hmm. No, sir. Like, you know, like, so like, that's why I have the, the, the revelation. I'm like, I need to treat them like travel guys until we have a day like Friday where we can just have nothing but a Devo lift. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Uh, we were into an army where our biggest issue was attrition. Like we would lose about 75 to 85% of every incoming class by their fourth year. And of that, like attrition. So we'd bring in a hundred guys every year. We'd finish off with 15. Yeah. the three years I was there of that attrition about 90% of it came from year one to year two and if they, all they look at is the reality of their situation of walking up to practice getting destroyed and motherfucked and told they suck every Tuesday Wednesday Thursday and then having to get up on doing a Friday morning lift and just getting destroyed there and then having to come back next Sunday where they couldn't even travel and they were kind of like pushed to the side of like hey just don't interact interact with the varsity and then getting buried again on Sunday still sore on that Tuesday, never really getting out of this hole. No wonder why they're quitting. It's yeah. an awful experience, it's shit, it sucks. And, exactly. and the only thing that we could definitively say at the end of the four years, that the person that would probably make it four years is a person who probably got reps or was on travel that first year. So why are we making this such a bad experience for our development guys who aren't even probably gonna make it anyway? Why not just save the burden? Because we all know Friday morning lifts just turn into group up downs because one guy showed up late. And it's like about teaching character and like our freshman knucklehead, 18 years old, they're gonna fuck up. You're playing the law of averages here. And that becomes your kind of guiding light. Like I'm here on a Friday, I gotta get in a plane in three hours. And if one guy doesn't have the self-respect to show up on time, that's your fucking teammate. He's gonna let you down when it matters. And it just turns into an absolute, like finding ways to punish your guys, finding creative ways to get on your guys to develop this other aspect. That's critical, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying it's not. And a lot of that maturity happens within that first season, but you're setting it up for, these more, I guess, hot topic issues. And when a kid gets to that first off season, do I really want to continue this for another three years? Fuck that. I'm just going to quit. This sucks. Or I'm going to transfer. I'm going to do something else. Like I always found that to be the bigger issue of like, I'm finding reasons to punish guys when I'm doing Friday morning lifts, or I'm really setting them back for the next week by doing this Friday morning lift. So coming to that agreement with them, like, I want to help you here. I want to get you guys up to speed. Maybe by the end of the season, if we do a great job with these two to three lifts we have in season, that's looking at you like a varsity guy, you can get reps if a guy goes down in front of you and you can do a better job that he has that one moment on that Tuesday practice to get some reps with the ones and twos. He's not fucking dead legged and completely shit in the bed, you know? And I thought that process too, of like having empathy for them and, you know, whatever, I was a bad football player. So I probably have more of a, a resonating feeling with them of like, imagine if I was in their shoes and just coming every day and just basically just trying to be pushed aside and can't even get a jock strap when mine's got three holes in it. And like that process for that and like having that empathy, just like talking to coaches and just like talking to athletic trainers and just like talking to varsity guys. Like I fucking hate Sunday live because I did, I had 70 snaps yesterday and I'm just beat to shit. Okay, what can we do to have a great shitty day, so to speak? Walk me through what can we do from a physiological perspective to get you ready for either a uh, repent for our Saturday sins type of thing of like we're gonna do up downs for every every loaf or every every like mental mistake or we're gonna do tempo work or we're gonna do basically install for the next week and just get motherfucked for two hours in, in film. like. How do I make this day better for you? You know, and 
you find it, you find these little things of guys are waiting to the last second to get up to the, the facility because they don't want to go up there because they just don't want to be a part of that. And then they tell you mid lift that, oh yeah, I sprained my elbow. I'm like, fuck, you gotta go see the trainer, man. And you might be out for the week. Like you should have did that last night. Well, I didn't want to do that because I'm just gonna get motherfucked and push back and like, and I have to get up here an hour early in the morning to kind of get more treatment. Like I'm having, to, I'm getting punished because I got hurt. And it's like all these little dynamics when you start to look at the, the way you structure your season, the training, the specificity you do behind that. Like, do we have these like, these things building up into hopefully a great rapport and synergy from position coach to sports medicine to the strength coach to even like all the other ends, like how they interact with the cafeteria and stuff like that. Like it may seem like this big, grandiose, uncontrollable thing, but you know, I think that everything's leading into hopefully the team and the and the performance aspects that you don't know you have control over, but you definitely have an impact on. And that part too is which is a really cool part about this conversation, man. I'm definitely getting the bug back here, man. This is uh, it's fun to get thrown back in the mix. I don't have that with Jen Pop anymore, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of funny. It's cool. Um, all right, coach. Any uh, closing words, man? Um, I know you got a course out um, talking about speed development and some other cool stuff. Anything you want to talk about that? Anything you want to get out to the public on that? Yeah. So I I, I had a whole bunch of presentations that I previously did have been recorded that were just sitting on our computer. And my wife was like, why don't you put those out? Like people ask for, for you to put stuff out all the time. And I was like, you know what? Let me put it out. I make it affordable, um, you know, and, and it's the links on my Instagram, Coach Joey G. Um, and it's on my Twitter. And, you know, I have I have those. And then I got sucked into it. So my, I have a nine-year-old son and I have a five-year-old daughter. And we do like one of the main sports in the offseason here is track. So like, you know, as soon as we got, I found out his track, and as soon as my son told me he wanted to be competitive and wanted to train for track, you know, the wheels started spinning, and I created a 15-week program for him, and I was like, you know, and my wife's like, I get a lot of people that hit me up on Instagram because I put videos of my son all the time, like, what are you doing for him? What is he doing? Where can I get information? Can I personal train with you and all these things? So I was like, you know what, my wife's like, put that out. So I put that out as well, and, and it's, it's just been fun hearing feedback from people and, and you know, it's actually opened up some networks for me to interact with more people than I thought I would actually do. And like seeing I could help people with, with just guiding training. Like I taught, I actually just got off the phone before I got on with you with our, our the Delray track coach who's the, here, who's my son's going to train with. And he's like, I want to use your program. I'm like, well, freaking come up to the facility and let's, let's chop it up and let's talk about what is feasible, what you understand, what you don't understand, what you like, what you don't like. So, um, you know, that's been a fun little venture for for me and a little side project that's been fun and uh you know it's, it's it's rewarding for me you know it's 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 i like doing it because it's i get to experiment on my son who's my guinea pig but you know uh if i can help other people especially you know how many dads are out there that are like i want my kid to do something and how many of us just went back to what we did when we were kids which was probably not a very good idea <laughs> at least what i've been exposed to you know so it, it's just been fun doing that yeah and i mean honestly, i'm in the world too and i mean i I think everyone's trying to do the best job they can and their interest in the right spot, but a lot of it's misguided. And having someone who's got, I always tell everyone, you want someone who's got their back to the wall and their job on the line, making decisions for your training, for you and your son. And for us, we have that pressure. If a guy gets hurt, we get fired. We have that pressure. If we don't win, we get fired. I don't think most gen pop working with nine to 13 year old kids have that, that sense about it right it's just about doing stuff that's going to impress them and doing stuff that's going to try to get their attention versus hey this is my son i've been in the situation where i've learned 
that if I do this wrong, that I lose my job. But the other part is I don't want anyone to be more successful than my own, my own son. Like that's a lot of value right there. And the consumer out there, myself included, and I got a three-year-old son as well, you know, thinking about that of, all right, listen to someone who actually has some skin in the game and listen to someone who actually has something to lose off of this and not just trying to tell me what is impressive and what could uh, interest me or appease me in terms of novelty. Like mm -hmm. that's, I think that has to have more weight as we go forward. And the thought that strength conditioning in itself from a collegiate sector, which in large part is the epicenter of who we are as an industry from maybe NFL as well. And now I think NBA and MLB is starting to get some really good traction in NHL. There's some cool, like cool sports performance programs developing, but the epicenter of team sports and then the concentric circle off of that to the world I'm in and working with Gen Pop and a lot of parents asking about, oh, man, you know, I saw this guy doing this or this girl doing that, like really cool, like probably not in the best interest of them because quite frankly, they got a lot of bigger rocks to work on. And you want to listen to someone who actually has some skin in the game as opposed to just trying to impress you. So that's awesome, man. And good for you because I know that's like a, it's a big step, you know, like you have, I have so much shit I got to worry about in a given day and a staff to worry about. And, you know, kudos to you, man, because I think that's a it's a really cool step, and you know, hopefully, it gives a little bit more of a a backup a backup plan or plan B when you're transitioning to a new job or in these like transitional moments in general. So a little bit more peace of mind to have something. Oh, definitely, it, it definitely has done that for sure. A distraction too, right? Like yeah, you know, yeah exactly. Especially like right now, we're we're in a voluntary pit. You know, I'm in a sit and wait phase right now, waiting for a new head coach to come in and see where my status is. You know, we only have like 15, 20, maybe 30 kids at, at most coming in, spread out throughout the day. So again, it gives me something to do. Yeah, that's great too. I mean, shoot, what other better thing to do with your own child, man? That's awesome, man. And you can talk to friends and family and and, and how many times you talk to another dad about that? Like, ah, oh, you know, like I'm doing this program. Like, why? <laughs> like, why would you do that, man? Like, that's yeah. an awful idea. Like, well, here's what I'm doing with my son. And, you know, I'm also really, really qualified and very, have a high level experience and professional pedigree. So maybe you want to listen to that. So that's awesome, man. Good for you, man. Definitely check that out myself. Um, I'll get all the links on that on the actual podcast and then the website as well. So that's awesome, man. I'm fired up for you, man. Um, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you taking the time, man. That was that was great, man. I really appreciate the insight. Um, thank you again, man. Um, any closing words? No, man, I just appreciate you. you. You always put out good information moving the field forward. So thank you for that. I think we need more guys like that in the field. Yeah, man, I appreciate it, man. I'm in the big phase of uh, hyping up and singing up all the, the praises of all the great transition coaches I've come across over the past couple of years, man. So um, I think we need more people talking about the good, which we're doing and the quality of what you're bringing. So, and you're right there, man. Awesome. I love the stuff you're putting out and yourself and for a long time, man. So thank you so much. Appreciate you, man. All right.